The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Today, we move into our second sermon in this sermon series where we are bringing a gospel word to trauma in Today we're going to lean into a lesson from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 8 and 9. That's right there in your bulletins if you'd like to follow along. I want to read it for you now. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians these words. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. This is the word of the Lord. If you want, you can read about trauma and what traumatic experiences cause in the body in medical journals. People write about it. They will tell you what happens physiologically in the body. Usually the mind has three options. You've heard them before, I'm sure. Fight or flight or freeze. You become the purest kind of victim when you cannot fight or flee. And so the mind actually recognizes that there is only actually one option to freeze. And it's at this moment when physiologically the body flicks a switch and the body actually begins to shut down physiologically. First of all, the stomach and the intestines and the gut, they just kind of go offline. And then what happens is the heart will actually slow way, way down. Like it almost stops and your breathing will become very shallow and not quick and ragged, but very, very slow. The body is actually shutting itself down little by little by little. And that's where people, this is where the phrase comes from, you're scared. You can finish the phrase. You can actually feel it in your gut because your body, and God made us miraculously, right? Your body is actually deciding all by itself to preserve every ounce of energy for the final struggle. That's what it's doing. And sometimes the urinary tract will empty itself because everything is shutting down. That's what happens physiologically when you are being overwhelmed and like the Apostle Paul says, you feel the sentence of death in your heart. Now Hollywood, <laughs> Hollywood does what I think 
two things with this kind of near-death experience. First of all, Hollywood tries to romanticize it. You know, think about a person running away, she's running away, she's running away, and all of a sudden she realizes there's nothing else she can do, right? She's come to the end of the line, and some power is overwhelming her to such an extent that there's, there's literally nothing left to do except to sort of receive the blow. And what happens a lot of time? By now it's like classic, it's cliche. I think all of a sudden the, the male or the female starts to run this, this sort of slideshow of life through the brain. Have you seen this before? It's like, oh, first she's running through the fields with the flowers and, and then she's remembering the warm embrace of her dad and she's from Minnesota, she's, she's playing hockey and um, it's like this great moment, right? It, it's, Everything's being romanticized because it's the end of her life. That's the, that's the first thing that Hollywood does with it. The second thing that Hollywood does with it is it makes it into a joke. I don't know how many times I've seen this on movies where there's this little boy and he's literally frightened to death. And what does he do? All of a sudden you see this spot spreading on his pants, right? Like it's a big joke. But really, we know what's happening physiologically. And we know what's happening in the heart. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he comes to his own traumatic experience, he does not speak about it with medical jargon. He doesn't romanticize it, certainly not. <laughs> he doesn't make it off to be some kind of big joke. In fact, for him... He speaks about it in very personal terms and also very emotional terms. And what he's trying to do right here in these two verses is to share the unshareable. He is trying to bear the unbearable and describe the indescribable. And so what he does, he actually just starts piling up words. Did you notice that? He's piling up words to describe this moment in his life that he cannot describe. And the way he describes it is this. He actually uses a picture. He, he describes this near-death experience that he, that he came to as this incredible emotional weight. He says it, it's a weight that was excessive in the extreme. It was, it was pressing down on him, and he came to this realization that he wasn't strong enough that he would not be able to bear it. And so it, it came to this point where he, he, he knew, my life's over. So I want you to picture it like this. Like, like the Apostle Paul is in this emotional trash compactor. Okay, So like this New York sanitation truck has come up, and he's inside of it, and it's crushing him. It's excessive, and like not even the world's strongest man can sort of leg press his way out because those trash compactors and the hydraulics that they have in those suckers, they're going to press you down. And it comes this moment where the trash compactor has arrived at the point that if it moves even one more centimeter, it's going to crush his rib cage and his head. And it's at this point where he announces his own personal death sentence. That's what he calls it. He says, I received in my heart 
the sentence of death. He announces over himself and he says, this is it. I'm going to die. And he gave himself up for lost. Now, a lot of people have actually gone through this. We, we actually saw last week, like, the incredible s- statistics for traumatic experiences. We saw that, didn't we? It's, ama- it's amazing how many people could, could stand up and say, I know what that's like. Assault victims, genocide victims, victims of uh, gun violence, right? And we could go on. We could, we could go on. So many people have gone through this. And then all of a sudden, the trash compactor stopped. And you can almost see the Apostle Paul scrambling out of this New York sanitation truck. And he's like, wow, I lived. Now, it's right there where we actually need to pause and, and, and we need to think about this a little bit more because the first thing that somebody goes through when they've gone through an experience like that is called shock. We, we know this, right? It's like you're, you're not really thinking straight yet. But the person who's gone through something like that actually hasn't come to the hardest part yet. You know that, right? They actually haven't come to the hardest part yet. The hardest part is living with the memory. It really is. It's living with the memories of what happened to you. And you cannot move on. You cannot move on, actually, until you've begun to answer some really important questions for yourself. You know what they are? You know what the great existential question is when you've gone through a catastrophe or disaster? Why? You need to know why. And then there's a second question that you need to answer. Why me? And then there's a third, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, there's a third question you have to answer for yourself. Where was God when it happened? You actually cannot begin to move on your life. You can't move back into really living, like with with vitality, with joy, until you know the answer to those questions. You need to know why. You need to know why me. And you need to know where was God when it happened to me. Now, the Apostle Paul, he could have answered those questions in any number of different ways. And we we could imagine that when he experienced this traumatic thing, this near-death experience, he could have answered it in this way. He could have said, wow, I think God's grace finally ran out. I I think that was one sin too many. Clearly God doesn't want me to be a missionary anymore, and clearly God's angels weren't there to save me. He he could have answered those questions in that way. He could have actually reoriented his entire life, his entire belief system, what he believed about God and his saving ability based on one single event in his life. He could have done that. He could have continued to run the thoughts through his head, the fear and the anger and everything that had happened and simply been stuck in that one moment. He could have done that, and a lot of people do. They really do. Years can go by sometimes. They're trying to answer the question, why? Why me? God, where were you when it happened? And let me tell you something else. The world's not going to help you answer these questions. They really will not. 
In fact, they're going to do the opposite. I call them scoffers, actually. This is a very old phenomenon. You could actually read the psalmists about this. Like, when the psalmist endured some kind of tragedy, traumatic experience, you know what the scoffer said? Where was your God? Read the psalms. Still happens today. You remember, I did, a, I did a, an interview with Anderson Cooper. And I told Anderson Cooper that God had saved me. And then he said to his angels, you know what happened to me online? I got ripped apart. I've never been trolled like that in my entire life. I actually, the New York Times did an interview with me, and I, I, I went into the comics comment section. Have you ever done that before? Oh, my goodness. I started reading through that. Wow. The scoffers are real. And you know what happens? They start to chip away at your faith. Am I crazy? You say to yourself. And they start to take away from you the one thing that has sustained you for your entire life. That's why I love these verses so much. Oh, do I love these verses. Because the Apostle Paul, he doesn't give the full answer to the question of why, why me, where was God when it happened, but he does begin to answer the question, doesn't he? Very clearly. Here's, listen to what he says. He says, This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He's not fearful, is he? He's not angry. Instead, he's trusting, isn't he? Now, I want you to understand something about the Apostle Paul. He learned something from that one event in his life. He learned, he learned a lot of things, actually. He, he learned just how weak he was. And he says as much. He learned about the fallenness of creation. He learned realities about sin, and he learned realities about death. If he had not learned them before, he now knew them intimately. But that's not all he learned, he says. He also learned something about God. You see, <laughs> the Apostle Paul experienced what we might call a near-death experience. But I want you to understand this. He also experienced something even more miraculous, even more incredibly. He experienced what we might call a near-resurrection experience. See, the Apostle Paul had come as nearly as possible to death itself, and at the same time, God, as nearly as possible without actually doing it, had raised him almost all the way back to life. You see that? And this is, a, this is an incredible thing to really take to heart. A near-death experience is not only just a near-death experience. It is also, at the same time, a near-resurrection experience. 
You see what the Apostle Paul was believing? He's believing this, that yes, I almost died, but yes, I have a God, the God of Jesus, who raised Jesus from the dead, by the way, that his number one defining characteristic is a God who raises people from the dead. This is a near-death experience and, and a near-resurrection experience. So I want to tell you something about the Apostle Paul. For the Apostle Paul, his trauma caused not less trust, but more. For the Apostle Paul, he did not feel less safe, but more safe. The Apostle Paul did not feel less hope, but more. Because God had been there for him when he needed it most. That's the lesson that he says that he learned. If he hadn't learned it well enough before, what he's saying is that he could trust in God more fully than ever before because his God that he saw so clearly in Jesus Christ is the God who raises the dead. Now, <laughs> I want you to see this, how this works out in people's lives. I was, um, I've been working on this project for a long time, and I, happen to, I love watching 60 Minutes at night. I know I'm a little bit of a nerd on Sunday night, 60 Minutes. And this segment came on with Chanel Miller. Now, maybe you don't know who Chanel Miller is, but she was the catalyst for the modern-day Me, Me Too movement. So maybe you saw in the news that, that um, she was assaulted by a Stanford University student. Remember this? He was a swimmer on their swim team. And she's telling her story. I mean, it's, I, I'm not going to tell the story. It's an, it's, it's an awful story. You can go ahead and look it up on your own. You can't, we can't do it in church. I, I don't want to. But she's telling the story, and I, and I can see it on her face. I'm just transfixed. And I was like, man, you've got to watch this moment. You've got to watch this. I'm just transfixed. Like, you can see the pain. You can see the sadness on her face. And I'm like, how is God going to make this right? I'm asking this question because I'm thinking about this sermon. How is God going to redeem this? You know, How is God going to save Chanel? And so we get to this part of the, the interview, and the interviewer says this. How did you carry on, he says. And Chanel says back this. I'm going to read it word for word. When I was reliving all of this, I thought, while the same night the assault happened, a miracle also happened. Now listen to this. Which was that I was saved. You see, while this assault was taking place behind a dumpster, by the way, two Swedish students were walking by in the middle of the night. And they get there at just the right time to intervene. They chase this guy down, tackle him, and deliver him to the police. Chanel... The interviewer says this to Chanel after that. He says, so they changed the story. And then Chanel, 
you got to watch it. All of a sudden, the tears became this big, gigantic, joyful smile. <laughs> and she says this. They changed the story. They changed the entire trajectory of my life. I, you know, I was moved to tears because here's this woman. She had experienced what I think is like one of the worst things that can happen to you. And they're saying this, and she's saying this. This is not a story of the abandonment of God, not for her. Instead, this is a story of miracles. This is a story of redemption. This is a salvation story for her. Do you see? Now, when you come to this realization and you begin to answer the question, why, why me, where was God when it happened, and you come to this realization that God never abandoned me, not even once. He was there. In fact, he delivered me. You can imagine just how healing that is. Not less trust, but more. Not less safety, but more. Not less hope, but more. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul wants to do this morning. You know, we, we talked about last week, yes, we have suffered an incredible thing, and we need to bring all of that pain, all of that suffering, and bring it to God with the gift of lament. We talked about that last week. But this week, we're talking about really the gift of new perspective. We're talking about having a perspective about our lives that God and Jesus Christ is not just a God who saved us from our sins so many years ago and then raised Jesus from the dead and then somehow just left us. The same Jesus who died and rose from the dead is actively involved in our lives today. His very defining characteristic, right, from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the very defining characteristic of God is this. That he saves, that he resurrects, that he redeems. You see, yes, I, what I'm asking you to do is to hold two truths together in your heart, two important truths. Yes, this is a world that is filled with brokenness and trauma, but yes, God has redeemed it. Yes, it is absolutely true that some of us have suffered a trauma, but it is also true that God has delivered us from it. And yes, you nearly died. But at the same time, you nearly came all the way back to life. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Truths about sin and truths about the gospel. And it's right here where post-traumatic life begins. And you actually ask and begin to ask a, a very different question. And it's this. Why did I survive? I really want you to ask yourself that question. Why am I here? And the beginning of that, we're not going to finish answering that question here today. We've got so much more to say in this sermon series. But the beginning of that question is this. 
because my God delivered me. He raised me back to life again. And I can trust him more fully than I ever have before. Amen.